Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Creator Podcast. This is number 45, and today I'm sitting down with David Patty. David is a filmmaker based in Northern California and has started a production company called Practice Pictures. David's path first as a creator was as an actor, and he realized after some time that just being an actor and working in Hollywood and LA wasn't going to be fulfilling for him. He wanted something more in terms of storytelling and having an impact on the world around him. So he started practice pictures with a few colleagues and they tell stories that feel real. They may be narrative, but they're a blend of documentary and narrative. We talk about why David is drawn to that type of filmmaking, his new film stalemate, where he sits down across a chess table with his dad and has a conversation around some issues that are at the top of mind today, basically demonstrating how we can disagree and ultimately still have a cheers, have a beer together at the end of the conversation and come together and realize that nobody really has the answers to some of these deep, profound questions. I had a blast in this conversation. We also talk about David's new film, which will be coming out hopefully next year, but it's a big project, ambitious, around the concept of death and specifically through the use of psychedelics. So just going to leave it at that. This conversation was fantastic. I enjoyed it so much, and I can't wait for you to dig into this episode. Here we go. David Patty, welcome to the show, man. Great to be here. I'm excited to dive in. We've got a bunch in common. We're going to talk about what you're passionate about, your path, um, and we share in common just the aspect of our passion for storytelling, creating specifically with film. And I'm just I'm pumped to learn from you and uh, go I'm back and forth. Chat. Awesome. We just met what ten minutes ago, maybe nine and, and a half minutes. Like yep, <laughs> known you a long time. <laughs> yeah, and that's part of the beauty of this stuff. It's we're gonna get to know each other in such a like raw way that whoever yeah. else is listening can do the same. So, first Sick. question for you, and I love to start with this: is what life was like for you growing up as a kid? What you were passionate about? Talk to me about your family a bit. For sure. So, I guess an important thing to know about me is I was adopted at birth. Um, and I was adopted by like two of the most amazing people in the world. Um, they're both, uh, psychologists and, you know, I just was very lucky to kind of fall into that random situation. You know, sometimes I just can't really wrap my head around it. Um, but so I, then when I was five, my parents adopted my younger brother. He's five years younger than me. Um, and you know, that was interesting because he, I mean, it taught me a lot about just the psychology of like nature and nurture because, you know, we're both growing up in the same environment, but also adopted from other biological families. So we're not related to our parents and we're also not related to each other, but we're kind of in the same growing up environment. Um, and, you know, he had a lot of difficulties, um, just a lot of behavioral and kind of learning and developmental issues that we think, you know, probably stemmed from his parents and his biological situation. Uh, and so, you know, that kind of became a central uh, challenge for me growing up was kind of, you know, he was just very difficult. And he's, he's a lot better now. And we've just started maybe in the last three years becoming really close. And like now I'm starting to feel like I actually have a brother. Um, but, you know, for a while, I think that made it really hard. So even having my, my parents, 
and them being the amazing people that they are. And he, I think he was also lucky to have them. You know, it it still had its difficulties. Um, but then in terms of just kind of what I did growing up, I feel like from a very young age, like maybe from the age of like six, I started doing theater, like at a local theater um, that my parents just signed me up for because I was always like running around the house, like dressing up as Batman and acting out like just th- and it wasn't even to perform for them. It was just like me wanting to live in my own little like, like make believe and just like, you know, play, play around. And so my parents were like this. I think he would like acting classes. Um, and so I got into that and immediately really loved it. And so basically did theater at like, and I didn't do theater in school. Like I didn't do like the middle school plays because I was already doing kind of a little bit of a higher level uh, theater outside of that. And I was kind of judgmental of like school theater, which was my own kind of fault because my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I wasn't in theater in high school. And then my English teacher actually, who was married to the theater teacher was like, why aren't you doing acting? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know about, you know, high school theater, but I did it and it ended up being an amazing experience, you know, in my junior and senior year of high school, and doing theater then was really probably what solidified that that's what I wanted to do more intensely, you know, like going into applying to colleges, you know, I think if I didn't have those experiences, I don't know if I would have gone to school. I, I, I mean, even with that, I almost went to school, uh, for pre-med, honestly, Wow. because I loved science and I, it was like fascinating to me and I wanted to do something exciting. So I was like, maybe I'll be an ER doctor, but so I, I applied to some schools, you know, for biology and pre-med, and then I applied to some schools for acting and ended up getting into Chapman University, um, which is in Orange County. Where you met Matt, and, I assume? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I just kind of committed and I was like, you know what, like I, this, I've never loved anything like this in my life. And the only time I, the only reason that I would maybe want to be an ER doctor or that I would have ever gotten that idea is because I would have seen it in a movie or something like that. And I was like, as an actor, I can do that and I can do everything else. Like, what am I doing even questioning this? And so that's, you know, that was a big step for me was kind of really committing like this is a this is not just something that I am doing on the side. This is what I'm doing with my life. Um, and Chapman ended up being a fantastic program, um, you know, and another great thing about Chapman was they have like the number four film school in the country right now. Um, I don't remember what it was at the time, but, you know, they just have gotten better and better. And so my degree track, I was a BFA in screen acting. And the way that that works at Chapman is, you know, you take all the high level intensive uh, acting classes that the BFA theater performance majors take. But you also at the film school take directing, editing, screenwriting, you know, and learn about the actual process of making a film. You know, at at the base level, at the very least, just because I think it's important that you understand what everyone else is doing when you're involved on a film set as an actor. Um, but I think a lot of that stuff really was like, I mean, I, I didn't do any video projects previous to college. I was only doing plays and I just fell in love with it. I was like, wait, you can you can do all this other stuff, too, and kind of put together this project that then kind of lives into the future. And you can show that to people and have this little like thing. And, and I just like loved that idea. And I loved doing film all through Chapman 
and I mean, and obviously I always will have a place in my heart for, for live theater. I think that it's really, really powerful, but you know, that really shifted my perspective to like, Oh, filmmaking is something that on top of acting really, really inspires me. Um, wow. you know, and I think that's kind of led me towards, cause then, you know, after graduating college, um, you go into the entertainment industry and you just start like auditioning for random shit and like doing commercials and, you know, music videos. And, and there's, there's a place for that stuff, I guess. I mean, I guess I could get into it about commercials and if I feel like those have a place, <laughs> <laughs> but it just was like, not what I wanted to be spending my time doing, you know? So and, you sort of pivoted away from the entertainment track, like the traditional yeah, like the like what they tell you you're supposed to do like as an actor, you know, they mm -hmm. say, you know, you go to LA and like you find your niche, you find your type, you know, and you audition for roles and you work your way up and you get like a, you know, like these small little roles and then you get bigger roles and eventually you'll be working consistently. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing. It's like the goal of that track is to get to be working as an actor. Mm. It's not about, you know, what it has nothing to do with the content. And that was just so strange to me that like you build your whole life and work pretty hard. You're like grinding, like, and not making much money working towards what just like the technical fact that you are getting your money as an actor. Interesting. So that's not like a deep intrinsic motivator. That's something pretty oh. external, yeah. But I, but I see it in a lot of other people, you know, mm -hmm. like that, like to, it's almost like to prove to themselves that they are a good actor, because they're making their money that way, you know, and they're making good money that way. Uh, but it has nothing to do with what are they doing as an actor. It's just they are working as an actor, and and I, I think that has a place too. You know, I get that, and a lot of my friends from school, you know, that's their goal, and that's fine. And then you know, the idea of like getting notoriety and fame and followers and that kind of thing, also was not all that appealing to me. But I was like, I still want to do this thing. You know, mm -hmm. the act of storytelling, like we were talking about kind of just previous to recording, that's like deeply important. It's not about me not wanting to, you know, cause I think a, a lot of people that I graduated with kind of gave up entirely and not, not, and that's a, that's a harsh way of saying it. I don't think that that actually is the way I would want to word it, you know, but like some of them are doing real estate right. or like doing something else. And like, that's totally fine. But it was like, because they didn't want to do it the way that you're quote unquote supposed to do it. And that wasn't really fitting and working out. They kind of shifted away from storytelling entirely. Um, and I think for me, I was like, I still have a lot to say. Like, I think I, I want to find a way to do that. Uh, Beautiful. And it's so much easier now. I mean, I'm sure you can totally understand, you know, like the tools are just so much easier to get. You can make a movie on your iPhone. I often say that I was born at the perfect time to do what I'm doing. Like even 10 years earlier, the tools cost too much. And even the job that I have as an editor of podcasts didn't really even exist 10 years before. Sure. Uh, I mean, even it's, it's so much more popular just even in the last couple of years. Yeah. And I actually had a similar experience to coming. So I was a business major. Cool. Always was. My dad was in. Go? 
I went to University of Notre Dame for three years, got kicked out right before I was going to graduate, and then ended up graduating from Seattle University um, okay, cool. a year and a half later. So it's been a it's been a crazy path, and yeah, just a, just a nuts story. I can tell you at another point, but I was told by I had a couple buddies older. I got a friend's older brother. I had um, a friend's mom who was in the entertainment industry in L.A. And they the advice that I was given from them was go to LA, get in a talent agency, work your way up, go start in the mail room kind of thing. And I just that right. didn't fire me up kind of the, in sure. a similar way. I just, I wasn't motivated to make and tell stories just to be in the industry kind of similar to you actually. And right. so I just started shooting like real estate videos and making my own stuff and eventually worked on a documentary film unpaid for a while that led me to the BAMP Film Festival where I took an adventure filmmaker's workshop. I'm, I love storytelling outdoors. I just, the connection between the environment and human beings is oh what God, fascinates yeah. me and our, just our connection yeah. to the earth as well. Not to get too too deep, too quick here, but. Um, oh, we, it's, it's all it is is deep. <laughs> yeah, man, we, I'm, I'm pumped. But um, yeah, so I can just echo and really resonate with a lot of what you're saying. So just to like, give me some more context and get to know you a bit better. How do you identify now in terms of like your position, your role as a creator? Are you uh, like a cinematographer? Do you consider yourself an actor still? And where do you see that path going in the future? I think I would call myself a filmmaker, actually. Um, That's how I would probably identify it now as. And it's interesting because I never really even considered myself an actor. I just love acting. You know, but I think I, I never really kind of put myself in that box or like told myself like, oh, I'm an actor. Um, like I am, but I'm other things too. Uh, but I would say at this point, I'm a filmmaker. And and it kind of goes to like what you were just talking about, um, about craft and like, you know, like practicing the things that you actually want to get better at. Because I felt like going to auditions and paying hundreds of dollars for headshots and you know, like doing these things, I was like, what am I actually improving on? Like, what am I, what am I working? What skills am I, am I refining by doing this? And that really shifted me towards, you know, trying to make my own stuff and just like filming stuff. And so I started with my iPhone, like literally my iPhone XR. Uh, I got a little like $150 like gimbal for it. Um, and just started bringing that just started bringing that with me everywhere and just like getting a bunch of footage of stuff. Like even I would, my goal at the beginning when I started kind of shifting into that, like the filmmaking was I wanted to practice like capturing authentic moments. Um, and so I, you know, I would try to be really inconspicuous and like, just like find ways to set up a camera and like film moments, like with my family or, you know, really like important trips that I would go on. Like I go backpacking with my dad every year and so I would just start like setting it up and like filming us, just like having like deep conversations. And, you know, I've got a, a basically like a speed dial widget for my voice recording memos so that if some great conversation is happening, I'm like, I got to fucking capture this, you know, like I got to record this. And, you know, that just became kind of a, you know, just this passion of mine of like, how do I capture like real life? Cause you know, I see in a lot of movies, you know, I, as much as I am a filmmaker and love movies, I think there's a lot of movies that really kind of turn me off to, or just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm picky about it. Cause if I don't believe it, then, you know, I, I, it's, 
it's harder to invest. And I think everyone kind of gets that even on a subconscious level if they're not like thinking about it. But like you can tell when something is, there's like this magic that is happening when you see like a film that like a scene might've been improvised or, you know, like the actors are just so good and so in it with each other that you're watching it and you're like, this is real. Mm -hmm. This This is, there's something real happening. And I kind of wanted to just explore with that, you know, and kind of be like, how, how is the best way to, to capture this? Because I think that people respond to this kind of thing. I do. You know, when I see it, it's like, oh, wow, like something, something's going on. Um, and so that's kind of where my trajectory is now. And that's kind of one of my major goals with the film that I just shot was how do we capture something more real than, than what people are used to seeing? That's so interesting that what you just said now connecting it to the film that you're talking about, I'm not even going to lie. When I was watching it, I was like, did someone set this camera up and are they just talking naturally? Is this scripted? I had no idea. It actually, uh, kudos to you because it does feel 100% real and a conversation that I think a lot of people are having right now in some form or fashion, some variation of it. So a little bit of context, just maybe talk a little bit about what the film is and sure. first of all, where we can find it. If you're listening to this podcast, like pause it, go watch that and then come back because I think <laughs> yeah, this part so, of the conversation will be more, make more sense that way. Yeah. So quick context. Uh, so me and basically three of my really good friends from college, um, have in the last maybe year and a half, uh, started the, the kind of baseline ground floor foundation of our own production company. And so that production company is called practice pictures and so practice pictures is on YouTube and that's kind of where we're uploading most of our stuff right now. You know, we might move to Vimeo if we get, as we get to like larger, more ambitious projects, but right now it's just about availability. You know, I want it to be out there. So, um, yeah, practice pictures on YouTube is where you can find the stuff that I've made. And the most recent project I did, um, I, you might not even know this actually it's in the description, but, um, so basically my mom actually sent me this thing she found for this 48 hour film festival, kind of in the local area where my parents are, uh, up North. And I was like, okay, cool. You know? And so basically the, the context was they had three sort of criteria for what they wanted in the film that they were going to release on a certain day. And then you had 48 hours to film, edit, uh, upload. And then we like at the end of the 48 hours, we had like a screening of all the films. Um, so, you know, I, in that sense, and, and I had already been experimenting with this idea previous to this, but it was kind of like, okay, we can't really prepare that much. We don't have that much time, you know, to, and also I, it was COVID, you know, the middle of quarantine, I was just me up with my parents. So I didn't have that of much accessibility to other people, locations, you know, so I think in a lot of ways, something I really love about like starting a project is I think a lot of times the limitations that you have, if you really, if you're really obvious about that with yourself and honest early on, that can actually really propel you forward in a, you know, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but you know, the, the limits actually help you excel. Um, and so in a way it was really cool that way. So I think if I remember right, the requirements were uh, they, they were just like ideas, actually. One of them was resistance. Uh, one of them, so the, the the theme was resistance. There was an object of the butterfly and uh, maybe the phrase timeout. 
you know, like just like something to get your mind going, you know, and at this time, you know, and we can talk a little more about this later, but I think COVID really made me kind of have this existential moment of like, how am I helping, you know, like just being locked up. I'm like, and, and especially with the fucking acting stuff of like, how is this helping people? Like there are people out there that are in really difficult situations and like, how do I contribute and help? Cause I just feel like I'm not with what I'm doing, you know? And I think that was kind of where my headspace was at. And so basically what happened was I was like, what if I have a conversation with my dad? You know, my dad is a great guy and doesn't actually feel any of the ways that he talks about in the film. But basically I was like, all right, dad, I want you to just act like your, your dad. Cause my grandpa is, lives out in Missouri, total conservative Trump supporter, you know, like, absolute opposite viewpoints. And I was like, all right, imagine that you're him and I'm going to essentially be, you know, me. And let's just like have an argument about something. Um, and you know, that was really kind of where we started and we're like, all right, like, how do we like, cause because of the theme of resistance, you know? And I was like, what about like resistance to other ideas? Um, you know, cause we're seeing that, like you're saying all over right now, like a lot of resistance to other ideas. And, you know, how do we capture that in a way that shows it being done healthily, if that makes any sense? Um, because I think in a lot of ways, the power of narrative film in, in opposition to documentary, which I also think is a beautiful, beautiful art form. But I think narrative has this special power to allow the viewer to kind of sit back and be unjudged while watching someone else make decisions and see those consequences, mm. you know? So in a way, in a documentary, you know, you might be made to feel bad about yourself, about like, oh, like people need to be doing this differently or whatever. Um, whereas if you're watching a film, all the judgment falls on the characters, like a narrative film, you know, they are the ones having to deal with that. And you can kind of sit back in the darkness of your own, you know, anonymity and be like, does this affect me? Like, can I learn from this? Like, do I, do I agree with what these characters are doing? Would I do it differently? You know, it, it gets you thinking about that without being put on the spot. And so, you know, in a way I wanted to show two people that disagree and don't come to an agreement, but that are still able to be, uh, friendly. Um, and so basically I was like, all right, dad, he's not an actor by any means, by the way. I mean, like, just like he's never done any of that in his life, but I was like, all right, dad, you got this. Cause to me, the other thing about acting is I think people kind of get their heads at their own asses sometimes. Like some of the best actors that I've worked with have never acted before. Cause it's really more about not trying to like do anything, like yeah. not getting in your way and just being authentic and just being present with the moment. And if you can do that, you know, then I think you can do really well in a scene. I mean, I think where the training comes in in handy is when you need to access like really intense emotions, you know, and really kind of dig deep into something that would be like hard even for you to access, you know, as yourself. Um, but just a conversation, I think a lot of people can do that. I don't think you need a degree in acting to be a really good actor in like the majority of situations, which is really just being present in the moment in conversation. So I was like, all right, dad, we got this. I'm just going to set this one take up. Like, cause that's another thing that I love is long takes capturing a moment to completion, like seeing the whole thing play out with all the pauses, all the mistakes, you know, 
not very minimal editing and just kind of like letting that go. And, and that's a skill that I've been refining as well. You know, I think I've had projects in the past where I've tried it and it was less successful because it's also hard because if you leave all the pauses in there, you know, sometimes the flow, you know, is so dependent on it going well, you know, at least that time you end up using. Um, so I think we shot it maybe like four times and it literally is just, you know, about this 10 minute conversation with my dad where we, uh, you know, are arguing about, you know, basically the need for law and order and, and violence versus, you know, peace and love and acceptance, which is kind of a foundational thing that we're, we're all kind of dealing with right now. And I think, you know, <laughs> I guess I can say I'm, I'm relieved at the direction that the country is potentially going in but we are a long way from from getting out of it and so really i made that film kind of with the hopes of of setting an example if that if that makes sense of like okay that seems like a way to help to use film to help of like set an example of like what what could we all be doing maybe hmm. this you know and and i kind of want to keep going with that 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 to me is where i want my films that like the niche that i want what I make right now at least to fit into is like, can this story be a helpful example? Not like a role model or like do as I do, but like, can it, can it show something that is instructive in some way? That's a beautiful intention. And I am super excited for future work that you do. You mentioned yeah. a bunch of really cool stuff in that, um, in that part of the conversation resistance to ideas I think is something that I agree with you is just not not healthy in any way we've got um, horns we've got someone hammering downstairs so if you can hear any background noise that's what's going on um, but I I love the I really enjoyed the film because and I do think it does do that achieve that goal of setting an example for people I with my dad, I was actually thinking about me and my own dad talking about similar things, not the same conversation, of course, but very similar. Sure. And sure. we've learned over many years how to have a disagreement. Like we disagree fundamentally on a lot of stuff and sure. it's not necessarily left versus right, but it's more just like approach. And it might be something sure. generational. Um, when yeah. you're a little bit later in life, you just kind of accept things the way they are. Whereas our generation's more like, no, actually, like real big changes need to happen, you know? And yes. I, I remember having a conversation with my buddy's dad one time in high school and I, he was like, you, you're a rebel, you're a rebel, you know, you want a revolution in this country. And I, I don't think that's actually like the proper way to go now. Cause I'm, I've calmed down a bit, but that's yeah. in my DNA for sure. And uh, sure. yeah, so I, I really appreciated that film and I think um, it does execute on that goal. So you filmed it cool. four times it's just you guys sitting outside playing chess yeah. and yeah. Uh, just like oh, no script pretty much. Like just maybe a few bullet points. None. Point. None. Yeah, wow. bullet points. That's basically, that's basically how I laid it out is we had like, all right, like, and, and we kind of, we practiced it maybe once and then over the course of the four times, we were like, all right, here's the stuff that really worked. Um, you know, here's the stuff that, and, and again, I've been practicing this because the film that I just shot, uh, the feature that I'm working on, we kind of expanded on that idea further. And like the whole thing is based on a treatment of like bullet points, but like, you know, kind of just refining that, like I was saying, that system of how do you make a scene 
have structure without knowing the actual way that it'll get there, you know? Because I think there's something really beautiful about being able to surprise each other in a scene and, and you don't know what the other person's going to say. Because as an actor, you know, like, can't tell you how many years I've done acting where, you know, you, you know what your cue line is. You know what the person is going to say to you and you know what you're going to say back and you know that through the whole thing in theory. And I think if you're good at what you do, you can make that feel real. But there's when when someone says something different on stage, you can see it like in plays where like someone says like a little thing and like it throws the whole and like there's like this little pop of like, (laughs) wait, what's happening? Because this feels like different than than what's happening. Um, I was like, how do we get like some of that magic into into scenes? And so this was kind of my first like real practice of that with my dad is like, all right, you know, we know that we want to hit these things, but we can get there however we want. And, you know, at the end of the day, the most important rule is be authentic, you know, just be as you would be. Don't say anything that you wouldn't say. Um, And I think it, it was really successful. I think that, you know, I was like, oh, cool. You know, we got a scene out of that, out of that system. And at the end of the day, even on a technical level, I didn't have to do any editing. Zero. You yeah. Threw a title on it. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it becomes this thing where like, if you get good at that, things become a lot easier. You don't have to do a bunch of coverage. You don't have to like sync a bunch of audio or like things like that. Like there are ways that it can be helpful in, in more ways, you know, than just getting a really good scene out of it. You know, I think in a lot of ways it can help keep budgets down for longer projects. Mm-hmm. Like even with the one that I'm working on, you know, I think, having the scenes be written in that way uh, allows for it to be done at a really low cost, which is important. That's why we do the podcast long form. I I do no edits on these. I throw a little intro on and we put it out there and that's part of the beauty of it. I think you mentioned some other things there and I just want to comment like on this idea of anyone can be an actor. I was listening to uh, Matthew McConaughey on some interviews recently. That guy's just a fantastic just creator and artist and uh, he was talking about how the minute you start actually thinking about what you're doing now you're going to trip up you're going to start to actually not be as authentic if you just mm-hmm. I think what you're saying and I, I almost clicked <laughs> with me is like everyone's a great actor if there's no camera around but when you put the camera in the room they know the camera's going like even I fall yeah. into it and after 40 I mean, what, yeah it's great that you say that because I think some way that the way that I typically frame it to people is the, the key to being a good actor is to forget that you're being recorded or watched. And the, t- the best thing about documentary filmmaking, which is what I'm primarily focused on, is being the fly on the wall, not being seen. That's the best documentaries or when you're watching them, similar to the narrative is where like you're not like, oh, they're forcing the scene. And I've had to learn it the hard way. I mean, just not trying to get something out of the people in the film. And I worked on, I was telling you about it, that, that film still skiing for a year and a half with my two friends that are ski bums. The first time we started filming, I would do some interviews with them and it would be so awkward. And I'd be like, Hey, what, try saying this, or like, give me a line about like how skiing ski season never ends. And then it would come off so awkward or like you have to, we, you know, I mess up the audio. We have to do a fill in or something. So you're, what you're saying is super valuable and um, for in terms of like the power of storytelling, I think there's something to be said about like a, a, a project where you can recognize that years of work was put into it. Just that's like, wow, that's impressive. But then 
it's almost empowering in a sense to know that you can create something in 48 hours that's interesting and can change hearts and minds. And the last thing I'll say is while I'm on this little rant here is I have been thinking similarly to you during this time around what's my obligation to the world with this short, precious life that we have. It's one thing like, yes, you have to support yourself, pay the bills. Sure. But then beyond that, it's like, what is my duty to my family, my parents, they did so much work to give me the opportunities yeah. that I'm here and to, to put me here. And I was having a conversation with another one of Matt's friends, Byron Manzo recently. And I just said, I felt, I feel like I have some sort of obligation while I'm here on this earth to make some sort of change. Yeah. Some sort of, you know, ripples of positivity it doesn't necessarily, I don't have grand goals to change the world, but even when one person hits me up and like, Hey man, I listened to the podcast and this one thing that one of your guests said, like something in this podcast, somebody listened to it and they're like, Oh, that's really interesting. And maybe it's going to change them in a positive direction. So just a bunch of thoughts there. I'm, I'm fired up yeah. about this conversation. I'm stoked. To keep well, one going. thing, one thing that I think about in terms of that idea of like, you know, an obligation to, to help. Um, I think the way that I think about it for myself is like, if you like, if you are a good parent, then you help one person. Like if you, if you make your life about being a good parent and like to dedicate your life to that and you help that one person, that's, that's enough. That's fantastic. That's a huge contribution, mm-hmm. you know? And, but in a way, you know, like I don't personally feel like I want to have a kid, but in a way I consider, you know, my service to the world, like as being a good parent to each other. Cause we're all teaching each other. We're all parenting each other kind of through life. And so it really kind of boils down to like, how do I treat others in a way that of like, what would be like the best, you know, caretaker, you know, how do I, how do I take care of people, uh, in a way that is meaningful? Um, cause I think people get caught up about this idea of like, I have to do something with your life, you know, like I have to do something for who, you know, it, it, it the, if you really think down the line of that thought and keep questioning it, you're like, okay, why do I feel like I need to do that? Like, what is succeeding? What is making something of life? You know, I think it, it, all of that pulls you out of the moment and, and, you know, you come to realize, or the, I think the, the best thing for me that I've come to realize is that if you accept death, um, life gets a whole lot easier. You know, it's kind of counterintuitive, but I think I'm a huge advocate for death. Um, I think it's a really, really important friend, um, that a lot of us dismiss and run away from, but it's, it happens to everything. Like it's, it's just like, it is just as integral as life. And we're all so afraid of it that we feel like we have to do something before it happens instead of just living and then ultimately one day dying. And it's just as simple as that in a way of like, you know, just, just live your life in every moment as, as you would want to, to enjoy it. And then one of those moments will be death instead of life. And when you get there, it'll probably make sense. Um, you know, it might be kind of painful for a little bit, but it'll just, that's what it is. And I think for me, that's kind of the next big, that's really the integral part of the film I'm working on right now 
is, that's kind of the core message is, is life, death, and the kind of unity between the two and how they are both equally okay and beautiful. I love how you take on big topics for sure. <laughs> something that I, I've struggled with and not struggled with, but something that I've wanted to aspire to do and found myself coming up a bit short in certain ways and it's totally okay. I've found other ways to fulfill that need and having these conversations is part of it, but just want to commend you for that because to take on a political topic at this time, it's like, Oh, why would you do that? But you did it in such a heartfelt and like positive way that it, it makes a ton of sense. And yes, perfect. You transitioned us to talk about the next film, but you're sounding like someone, what I'll say is I have a similar, I've had a similar understanding of coming to grips with death. It's inevitable. I'm down here in Mexico and down here, at least from my understanding, they celebrate death a little bit more than we do in the States. We just had Dia de los sure. Muertos and it's not as feared of a thing as it yeah. maybe is in our society. And there's really something to that. I think it's my personal belief and it's not necessarily religious in any way or specific to one religion, I'll say, but when we do die, our soul moves on to another place. That's just something that I've through my experiences with psychedelics and also talking to other people and understanding a little bit more about the world as I've come into my twenties here, that's something that empowers me to realize, okay, no matter what, like when it's all said and done, it's all good. The nature of the universe is good and our soul will move forward. It's not like lights go black and then everything's gone. So that is extremely motivating. And it, the other thing I always say is, you know, if we all live forever, nothing would matter. And then that's the truth. Like if we, if we live yeah. to be 500 years old, that would diminish the value of each relationship of each conversation. The fact that this yeah. thing is so short, it's, it makes every conversation, every interaction that much more beautiful. So talk to and me about this. Don't next want film. That. People, people don't want to live forever. They want to do all the things they want to do, which is so ironic. Cause like so many people that are in that position are spending a lot of their time doing something like that will down the road get them that instead of just doing, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch that. That's a big thing that was preached to me by my parents. Nothing, no flack on them, but it was always like you work hard when you're young so that when you're old, you can kind of chill out. That was more of a mindset of previous generations. Like you just put in your 40 years, 25 to 65, and then you get to retire and like kind of everything's yeah. bliss. And having that shift for me of like, no, actually, if I'm going to spend 90,000 hours working, it's going to be something that I enjoy and that I want to do. And so that's why that's one of the reasons that motivates me to blend passion with profession is the term that I use. Have that's you ever awesome. been around? This is a random question. Have you ever been around someone who's close to death? And and how did they like handle that? Have you ever? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't actually had that much experience with it uh, personally, um, but I, re I mean, because I'm so interested in the topic, uh, my girlfriend and I actually went to this thing called a death cafe, uh, which was on Zoom because it was during uh, COVID. But basically, it's just like people that like kind of come together and just talk about death. Um, and like one of the guys, uh, you know, had maybe about three or four months, you know, he, he was like dealing with cancer, a couple of different cancers. And like knew he was going to die and kind of just comes there to just talk openly about death and kind of what that experience is like watching it approach. Um, 
but I'm, I'm fascinated by it. You know, I think I, I've been very lucky, I guess, in a way to not have experienced death a lot close to me. Um, but at the same time, I think my awareness for it has gone up a lot, uh, in the last, you know, four or five years. And, uh, I think a lot of, well, actually this will, this will transition to talking more about the film because I think where it all started for me was a few years ago. Um, I was with a girl, uh, for about a year and through that relationship, she was very suicidal. Um, you know, just kind of had a lot of, uh, and, and it, a lot of it isn't her fault at all. You know, I mean, none of it is, um, anyone's, but, you know, just for various circumstances, you know, getting to that place, I think being around that and being close to that. And, you know, when you're with someone that you love, um, you know, you want to kind of be there with them and like, you're kind of in it together almost. And it, and it brought me really close to death in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Like the idea of, of being able to induce it, um, I think was really, I mean, I, I don't know, it's, it's dark, but it's interesting, you know, uh, how, and, and actually, you know, we can talk about it later, but I'm volunteering or I'm being trained right now to volunteer at a suicide hotline. Um, just because I think, you know, it's something that it, it's, it's so prevalent and nobody really talks about it openly. Um, you know, but like what that means for someone to get to a place where they, uh, would want that, that that feels like the best option. Um, and it's everyone's right to be perfectly honest. It's everyone's right to take their own life. If that really is to them deemed the only option. But a lot of times it's a matter of like just a simple conversation and realizing that there are other options. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's your choice. And so, you know, that experience was really formative for me. And eventually I realized it was not healthy for me or her. Like we were not helping each other. We were just kind of, it was just a really difficult uh, thing. And so both of I mean, she actually initiated it. She was very mature about it. And, you know, we, we ended up splitting up and, you know, as time went on, I found myself kind of after having been through that intense experience, you know, not still having feelings for that, but having being kind of drained of feelings altogether. Um, you know, and, and that just kind of lingering of like, what if this like stays with me and I like can't like feel again? Like, what if I can't like love again? Because I got like, it, and, and so that was kind of where I was at. And then that's what led me to my first psychedelic experience. Um, where basically me and my best friend, uh, her name is Ginny. Um, you know, we were like, let's go camping and do psychedelics. And I had never done them before. Uh, it was mushrooms. And, you know, I went into it with that intention of like wanting my feelings back, wanting my love back, I think was kind of how I worded it to myself. Um, and, you know, you, you have this idea of what psychedelics are, you know, that like they're hallucinogens, you're going to like see crazy things and, uh, you know, that that's what it's going to be. Um, and I had done a lot of research you know, like about like dosages and kind of what to expect. Um, you know, watched a lot of videos, did a lot of reading, you know, went into it with an open mind, but like feel like, okay, I kind of understand this. And it was nothing like any of that. Like it, <laughs> it was like, I mean, I'm sure you can understand there is a, there is an aspect to it that is inexplicable. Um, because it's just so 
I mean, you, you think of it as a, a visual thing, but it's much more an emotional thing. But it's it, they're both like so connected that it just like is all one thing. So it's like the visuals and the the things that you think and the things that you feel, it's all like one manifestation. And it was the most beautiful experience that I like ever had. And I was like, well, I, this is not what I expected. This is like really, really, and, and it, and it brought me what I wanted. You know, it filled me with love for everything. And I missed everyone that I ever met. And like, it was just like an absolute game changer of an experience. And so that's what led me to want to tell a story that to me felt like that. Um, and so the film uh, that we're working on uh, is called Life After. And there's basically two meanings to that, which is kind of what we just were talking about. One of those explores the idea of how like trauma and grief, you know, a lot of times we see people dealing with that in the immediate aftermath, you know, maybe like that first week, that first month of like, oh my God, something really horrible happened. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of really intense grieving. But a lot of times we don't see what happens, you know, two years down the line after something. Um, or like, you know, you, you think about like, oh, I have to get through that trauma and that grief. But then you also have to keep living forever. I mean, as long as you can and uh, deal with all the life after, you know. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of that first side of like the, the coin of like life after trauma you know, you'll never be able to make it go away or not have happened. You have to find a way to live with it. Um, and then the other side of it is, you know, this idea that you can have a positive experience like psychedelics that can fundamentally change your life from that point on. Um, because I don't think people really get that. Like, sure, the drug experience is great and one part of the equation but no other chemical that I've ever experienced and no other anything has like left me with a perspective change that lasted, that, that never went away. You know, like that's the crazy thing about them. It's like everything that you get from it, you get to take with you. Whereas like when you, you know, do something like, even when you just smoke weed, like sometimes you'll have like all these great ideas and you might like forget them or like whatever, or like, you know, you do cocaine and it's, it's like a fun night, but then you kind of forget it. or alcohol, like is all these things leave you with less than you started with in a way. Um, whereas this leaves you with more than you started with. Um, and I've never seen that in a movie. I've never seen a story be told in that way. I mean, there are a couple documentaries now that are kind of starting to like hit it. Like there's this one called Fantastic Fungi that really talks mm -hmm. about psychedelics in a in a, a way that I'm like, okay, okay, we're getting there. Um, but I'd never seen it in a narrative film, and I'd seen it depicted in a lot of ways that were like, that's not actually what it's like. Mm -hmm. You know, you see a lot of movies where, you know, they show psychedelics, and it's either they're doing something that makes it like an absolutely horrifying experience. Like it becomes like really scary because they're tripping, tripping out of their mind. And like, if you were in that situation, yeah, it would not be fun, you know, but like, don't do psychedelics in that time. Or it's like something super goofy and weird. And they're like doing something totally stupid. And they're just like, Whoa, like it's so crazy. And it's like, Oh, look at those like hippies, like tripping or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, those are kind of the two modalities that you typically see. Um, and I was like, again, like what we've been saying, I was like, there's something more real. There's something more authentic here uh, to be told. 
And so that's kind of where the story for this movie started coming along. And basically, it tells the story of two characters that are each dealing with loss in kind of an equal and opposite way. So one is basically two years out from the suicide of an ex-girlfriend, you know, kind of exploring that idea of like this intense, really visceral loss, but being at the point where it's like, I should be better by now, right? Like I should be able to like function, but you, you know, he's having trouble. He's like trying to go on dates and he like can't connect. He's just like, fuck, like, I, I, you know, this is not good. And he's like trying to deal with that time long after that. And then his best friend, who's my friend, Ginny, who I tripped with the first time. And, you know, we're both, we were both in the same acting program together. Her character is her mom is starting to go through some really confusing health complications, you know? like having these like lapses of consciousness where she'll just pass out and they're getting more and more frequent and the doctors don't know how to explain it. And basically exploring that other side of like death can just come at any time and like you kind of have to almost be ready for it in the future tense too and expect it. And, and like how do you move on from that? Like the loss of a parent is going to be one of the hardest things that any of us ever go through, you know? Some people go through it at a really young age and that's really hard because you have no foundation for that. But, you know, if you work on it through your life, you can build a foundation to kind of save yourself from that being debilitating. But, you know, that's, that's kind of where we start with these characters of like being in this like idea of like death being this really uh, painful thing that, you know, how do we get away from it? That's kind of where they're at. It was like, you know, how do we get away from death? How do, how do we find someplace else that's like safe from death? And so they go on this backpacking trip. Um, and, during this backpacking trip, they decide kind of last minute, you know, like right before they leave to try psychedelics. And, you know, neither of them as characters have ever tried it before. Um, but they just are kind of want, they've been hearing about it and it's been coming into their lives and they want to try it. Um, and so they do. And lo and behold, it gives them this journey of like this magical journey of kind of coming to terms with death. And it's kind of depicts that journey. And so on the technical side, how I wanted to execute this film was basically there were a couple things that were important to me, you know, kind of what we've been talking about authenticity, authenticity of a few different things. So one thing is we actually did go backpacking. You know, we hiked all of the gear that we could six miles into the middle of the forest, which was not easy. Um, but something about that struggle, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been, I think you've been, you said you've been backpacking before. A bunch, yeah. Um, awesome. You know, there's something that is about that struggle, about that, about how hard it is that makes it meaningful. It's like you accomplish something that feels almost impossible at times. And you're like, why do I like doing this? Like, this is hard. And that's kind of like life. That's kind of like grief. That's kind of like death. It's like this thing. It's like immensely challenging, but you go for it because it's beautiful. And so I was like, I don't want to fake that. I don't want to just go on a camping trip and pretend that we're like hoofing it. Like, let's let's go for real and, you know, capture that. And again, you know, in a way, this is kind of half a narrative film because we have these characters that are fictional, but in half it's documentary and that, you know, we we did a lot of improvised rehearsals with me and Jenny so that we would like get into character and know who these people were. And then we just kind of set them loose in the playground of the structure of the film that we had. So again, it was like we had like a 40 page treatment that basically had scenes broken down in like, 
you know, they stop to rest. You know, this person asks the other person this. They respond. You know, they talk about this topic. You know, he brings up, you know, talking about his feelings about his ex. You know, things like that where we had kind of a blueprint, but how it would actually manifest was left loose enough that, you know, we, we were open to seeing whatever would happen. And, you know, then that kind of culminated in, so on, I guess, the third day that we were out there out of six, um, in the morning, 10 a.m., we got everything set up to go out for the day, like all this, all our gear in bags. And then me and Jenny um, actually took psychedelics on camera, like took mushrooms and, you know, did the scene that we had laid out of what that scene is when they take them. And then we're like, let's go for it. We had about five, six scenes that we wanted to film that day, you know, and then the rest of it we would fill in in the following days. Because in their experience, they're only out there for like one full day. They hike in, they have a full day where they trip and they hike out. But we had six. And so, you know, something I think that's so cool about psychedelics is it feels like you have more experiences than are possible in the hours that you're doing things. It's like time. Time is irrelevant. I mean, that's just a thing separate from that, but I think psychedelics really show you that. Or like, how do we capture that? Let's combine, let's like condense six days into three. Um, and we got every scene that we wanted to. Like, I, we, we were prepared for it to be a wash and like be like, maybe we'll just end up crying for four hours by the lake and like not, not shoot anything. But it was just the craziest day that I have had in recent memory. And and we did it. Like we captured something. Like I, I'm really excited to like I'm editing it together now, basically. And what we're gonna do is I'm gonna edit together like a sizzle reel of what we got um, to use for fundraising to get stuff. Because I want to do a really good like VFX and sound design, like post production heavy like run on it to really make it like right. But in terms of the content, like we captured a really impactful journey um, and. Yeah, I'm excited for people to see it because, again, I don't think people have seen this before. I don't think people have really seen what it's like. And you kind of – to me, it was almost the idea of like bringing something back from the other side. Like there's this experience and if you try to fake it, it's it's not going to work. I, I couldn't have imagined how I would have like written a movie about it and like done that and like we'd be like pretending to be tripping. I don't know. I don't think it would have worked. And so I was like we have to do this for real and – you know, maybe it'll be something, maybe it'll be nothing, but it has to be for real. Um, and it worked. And I'm, I'm like, I'm so impressed with it because it was just the four of us, you know, and my dad, who you saw in the other film, um, because basically his role was along this journey, they encounter this kind of wise tr stranger traveler who to them is almost like, is this guy real? Is this guy God? Is this guy death? Like, what is this? And then by the end of it, you know, they end up getting to know him well enough that he's just an old guy, like, you know, wanting to come into terms with his own mortality and being like, I don't know how many more times I'm going to be able to hike six miles out into the wilderness. So I got to, you know, live it up while I can, because pretty soon I'm going to be dead. And that's kind of that third, you know, point that converges on this theme of the three of them all dealing with death in the past, in the future and in the present and kind of like all sitting together and being okay with it. And that's really the story that it is. It's like, you think it's a story, like it's one of those movies where like, you could be like, oh yeah, it's a movie about psychedelics, but it's more a movie about death. Hmm. What did you personally take away? Uh, obviously you can't, you know, 
beyond just the film. And I'm so happy that you are where you're at now, feeling like you have something good in the can and that you actually may have captured to as least as as close as or beyond. It sounds like you exceeded expectations. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. But what else? We'll probably have to do some reshoots, but you know. Uh Uh-huh. What did you take away from the experience itself of having the cameras there with a real direction? Because the handful of times that I've had a psychedelic experience, I can't imagine. Like, I always put my camera away for that day. Like, when I'm, and I've got a drill in the background now, but I I just would, I want to get inside your head a little bit here around what it was like not only to shoot it and like what that felt like did you feel more able to tap into your authentic self or your, your true self in a way? And were you able to ignore the camera? Like, what was that like? And then what did you take away from yeah. the experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that was probably the thing going into it that I was the most nervous about, um, especially kind of going into a character that in a lot of ways is struggling a lot more than I am personally and really feeling an obligation to want to be authentic to that. Mm. You know, I think a lot of times when I do roles, like it almost feels like there's the character is this person that exists in like another dimension. And like I am their kind of surrogate representative in this dimension. I don't know. That kind of sounds like weird, but it's like I can understand. I'm I'm responsible for conveying their truth to people. And so it's really them who I'm trying to be like, did I do a good job? It's not like someone else being like, oh, you did such a good acting job. It's like, well, did I, did the character like feel proud of me for, you know, the way I was able to tell their story. And so that was really what I was the most nervous about, especially because, you know, through pre-production, I mean, I wrote this thing, this has been kind of like my baby and I did hand over direction and cinematography because I needed to, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this and act and also be dealing with other things. Like, I'm like, I just need to focus on this. I need you guys to like help me with this. But again, it was, it was so something that had been sloshing around in my mind for so long that like the challenge for me was like, don't have expectations, like let it happen and just kind of be brave. That was, that was really kind of the theme, you know, Mm. for me going into it was like, you can do this, you know, it might be intense, but like be in the moment and be brave and like, it'll, it'll happen. And so, you know, as we kind of got started on it, um, it, I mean, I think I've, I've had a fair amount of practice with like forgetting that the camera's there, like you're saying. Um, so I think that part, uh, wasn't actually all that hard for me. Um, but You know, there were times where, like, I think this there's kind of a phase that happens in every psychedelic trick I've had, where kind of right after you start coming up, there's just this like surge of emotion. Mm. Um, And so, like, there was this point where, you know, I just started like weeping uncontrollably. Um, And in a moment like that, it was just it, it, it was not so much so like being comfortable being on camera, but like letting go of if it's like being captured perfectly you know what i mean like because again i have all these ideas in my head of like oh my god like this would be so cool if like the camera were like here and like mm-hmm. we did it and just like trusting my team and being like 
like, I just got to go through it. Like whatever we get, we get, you know, and I trust them and just kind of, you know, not, not even paying attention to what would be a good shot. Where is the camera just like being in it? And I think that more so was kind of the challenge that I think I, I did well, but of just kind of trusting the team to, to capture the vision that I had kind of handed to them. Like, I, I think it was letting go of it needing to be like my ideas and knowing that they were creative enough that like they were going to capture it as beautifully as anyone could. Um, and they did, you know, and I think I think the, the biggest issue was, um, you know, the person who was doing directing was also sound mixing. And so, you know, those are two pretty high intensity roles. And so it was just like if we were to do it again, like if we were to do reshoots and get back out there, I would want a dedicated sound person in addition to the director. Mm -hmm. And then maybe having one extra person helping Nick uh, shoot it, you know, like an AC just to kind of like, you know, double up those two roles. Uh, those were the only things I would change. But other than that, like, I think as a team, we really kicked ass. Like we've been working together for a while now. And this was by far the most ambitious thing that we've ever done. But during the day, I mean, there were so many times, I mean, you, I'm sure you can imagine, like, I was just like, I'd be like tripping and like, just like look over to like Nick and Sam be like, guys, we're, this is happening. Like we're, we're getting it. Like, this is crazy, you know? And that was just kind of a cool feeling throughout the day of like this plan that we set out with, which is already like one of those things where if you told it to somebody and like me telling it to people before, they're like, how are you going to pull that off? Like, that sounds, I, I, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. And I'm like, it was kind of just one of those moments where you have to just be, I'll, let me show you, let me do it and I'll show you. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But if I'm right, I think I can actually do something that's crazier than what you might have imagined possible. Um, and, and that to me was kind of the goal was like, let me go out there and just try it. You know, we spent all our own money mm -hmm. on this initial, initial push of, of filming and it was just like, let's get what we need. Let's do some rentals and get like what we need to. And, and a big consideration was weight, you know, because there's only five of us. And we ended up each carrying like 50 pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, we and, and that first day was gnarly. And that actually kind of shifted some of the script because in the initial script, like the hike in is like hard, but they make it kind of without a hitch. Whereas, you know, after actually really doing it again, we were like, Actually, the, the difficulty of the hike in is just as valid of a part of the journey as the tripping part. You know, like you think like the tripping part is the, is the valuable part. But, you know, the, the struggle of like, Jesus Christ, this sucks. Like, you know, and just being like, oh, my God, we're not going to make it. And there was even a part in the actual hike in where she was like, I'm too tired. And I was like, I'll go ahead and drop my pack off and come and carry your pack for a little bit. Um, and little things like that where it's like, you know, when you're actually in it doing it, as long as you're flexible to change, you can come up with just better ideas once you're actually in the field doing it. And so that was just so much fun. It, it was just like an amazing, basically a week of us just living out of our tents in the woods, filming every day. And yeah, I'm really excited to show people what we got. It's, it's going to be something really special. Circling back to earlier in the conversation, we were talking about just how accessible storytelling tools have become. And then oh God, also yeah. connecting the fact, like to me, it seems like this would be 
impossible if it was actually funded right from the beginning. Like you'd feel right. more pressure. You'd have some other people that you want to like, I mean, maybe you wouldn't feel more pressure, but the fact that you guys, it was your own passion project. And it sounds like these are all your buddies, your friends and your family. So you're mm -hmm. able to work together in a very real way. Like if you didn't know the camp, if you didn't know the director, right. Would it be possible? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think yeah. that was what it all hinged on. Uh -huh. And I was kind of in conversations with people previous to this, you know, people are like, how are you going to pull it off? It's like, well, I love and trust everyone that's coming with me to do this. Like, yeah. and we're all ready to like work way hard. Like I wouldn't ask this of just, I have a lot of really good friends that I would never have asked to do this for me. Right. Um, you know, this is a very particular kind of friend that is willing to like suffer for the cause of like sacrifice. what you're out there to do. Yeah. yeah there was, just, there was a big sacrifice by all of us. Um, and that was just very moving to me that, you know, that I have this like group of people that was willing to do that because they knew what we were out there trying to do, you know, and it was important enough to them. And that was the magical part of the whole process, even like pre-production was like getting it to a point with them where, you know, I explained it enough times and like kind of talked through it out loud enough times where it like passed this point where they started having ideas that were, you know, better than my ideas. I was like, yeah, like <laughs> I don't want this to just be my thing. You know, I, I want it to feel like our thing. I don't want to be the one that has to like sign off on all the ideas. And it did get to that point where, it, you know, it really did feel like our thing. And, you know, even with my dad, like he gave a lot of input on the script, um, you know, and we did a lot of like edits through it just to kind of like get the structure down. And we were even originally going to shoot in June, but because of COVID, it just wasn't realistic. And that delay uh, into the fall, because we just shot it in uh, like mid-October, I mean, the script improved exponentially in that time. So sometimes, you know, pushing things off can be a good thing, but then it also got to the point where, you know, we almost weren't able to shoot it because every place was on fire. Oh, like we wow, had to, that's we right. Had, we had two locations that the permits fell through because, you know, the whole forest was closed. So we ended up having to go to a place that none of us had ever been to before. Like our original locations were like places that I had been backpacking before. And because there were only a couple of places we could find and they were all, they were in the Trinity Alps. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like right at the border of Oregon and California. Okay. It's kind of like the coastal mountain range up there. Lassen uh, is in there. Yeah. And Mount Shasta, Shasta. is really close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we went up there to a place none of us had ever been. It was just like, and that was like a week and a half before shooting that we had to change locations. So it was just a wild ride <laughs> the whole time. Holy crap. Of, like, well, let's try it. But I mean, you know, to me, it was more a matter of like you're saying, just practice. I mean, that's that's the whole idea behind our production company. It's called Practice Pictures. The the core tenant is it's all practice, you know. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, that's that's our handle. It's at it's all practice. But you know, the idea that you're not going to get it right every time. And there's this whole catch twenty two in our industry of like you need experience and like to do something, but you you have to do something to get experience. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that would love to do something creative, but they can't quite find the means because they haven't done that thing before. And where are they going to get to practice that? And so, you know, I think my goal would be as if we if we get bigger as a company, you know, 
being willing to bring people on to perform roles that maybe they've never done before, but that they're really interested in and passionate about. Like if someone is like, I've never edited a film before. It's like, well, let's put together a short film and you can edit it and try that. Like it's all practice. Like I think that's a really important thing for me is not needing it to be perfect, not needing it to be the best, but wanting it to be meaningful for everyone and something that people want to be practicing. Um, and so I think that's what helped us kind of go into this experience, you know, with a clear mind of like, if we don't get the footage that we want, who the fuck cares? You know, we'll, we'll do it again and we'll learn so much from that and it'll be better next time. And I think people are kind of afraid of that, you know, like even with the 48 hour film thing, you know, maybe there would be things we could improve, but it's more just like, let's just do it. And I think that that to me has been a really important belief through all my creative projects is like, just try it the best you can uh, rather than not do it because you think you won't be able to do it well. That's something that's so key. I, I struggled with that for a bit and now I've come to the point where it's like, you know what, going to do the best that I can and put it out. I was with my recent film, just like the, validation or the gratification that I got has nothing to do with how people receive it, but just how I felt, okay, this thing's done and now I can turn the page and move forward. I think a lot of people, I was going to ask you about just the fact that this is such a long-term project and you can become so emotionally attached to it and you can want it to be perfect that ultimately you grow as an artist and then the stuff you shot a year ago isn't up to par with what you do now. And so that's really wise advice, I think, to just let go of a lot of that and, and just finish it. So do you have any timeline on when you're going to edit it? Yeah, I'm editing it right now. Um, I think we'll probably try to get like something out to show people, like just like a, maybe a little trailer or a sizzle something probably sometime this winter, um, you know, December or January. Um, but I mean, some of the stuff, I, <laughs> I don't want to be hyping it too much until, you know, we have something put together, but some of the shots are just absolutely outrageous. Just, it's going to be a beautiful project. I'm hyped. I'm stoked. <laughs> um, one question is like the sure. relationship, has your dad ever had a psychedelic experience? I've actually tripped with my dad. I was going to um, ask. That, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, he and my mom were both kind of like hippies in the sixties and seventies, you know, like they had those experiences and then, you know, took a break from it, obviously, to be parents. So they did, you know, 20, 22 years, 23 years uh, for my dad of, like, never having done them. Um, and actually, after that first time of me doing them, I, you know, I had all these feelings and I was just missed everybody. And one of those thoughts that came up was, like, I want to do this with my parents. Like, and I also recognize that so few people have that instinct like so people so few people have a relationship where that would be something that sounds like a good idea so when i tell people like oh yeah i've tripped mushrooms with my dad they're like i would never do that but honestly having done and i know that you know my situation is unique because he's first of all he's not technically even my dad um but the thing is i think that actually like something i've learned from being adopted is that you don't need to be related to someone to love them unconditionally. And like, it's more about like how you love someone than if you're related to them or not. And like my parents are absolutely my parents because they supported me and loved me. And it's sad that that's so rare in people. But I honestly think that 
this kind of perspective that comes from psychedelics can kind of break those barriers. Cause that to me really was the experience. So basically after that first time I FaceTimed my dad and I was like, would you ever do this with me? <laughs> and he was like, you know, maybe I'll think about it. And then, you know, again, we go backpacking every year. And so that next year came around a few months after that. And I was like, you know, nervously like, Hey, you know, if I, if I got mushrooms, like, would you like think about doing them? Like, you know, and at that point still, again, you know, he's my dad. I kind of still had a little bit of like worshiping of him at that point of like, he's like this guy and like, I don't know, like what's going to happen. Um, and a bit scared, you know, of what would that, what would be the implications of this afterwards? Cause again, like I said, a lot of times it can change things forever in some way. Um, and I don't even remember like if I had an intention or things like that, but really it was about breaking down that, like breaking down the idea of father and son and being able to be with my dad as just two people that just happened to be two different ages, just in the world. And so we went backpacking and took them together and, you know, walked around and, had just a fantastic experience and it really did do that for me of like, and you know, we talked about his relationship with my mom. We talked about, you know, just all sorts of things. And I was like, you're just a guy. You're just a dude that's just a little bit further along than me. And, you know, but we're just both out here, you know? And that to me is something that I think that everybody can have with their parents. You know, I think that it's, obviously like a harder conversation and maybe a harder uh, thing to wrap one's head around for a lot of other situations. And I think that's important to recognize, you know, I'm, I'm super privileged to have the situation that I do, but awesome at the same parents. time, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's like one of the greatest privileges in life. Uh -huh. um, but I also think there's value to it. I think people that have difficult relationships with their parents could really benefit from it, you know? And I wish, I think it's, it's getting more prevalent in conversation of like psychedelics in general, but you know, I think we don't really understand the power that these things have and, and they have the power to mend relationships or at least bring into context, you know, different hardships, like, and, and you can relate to people in a deeper way. Like if you trip with someone that, brings you to a new level together whether that's like closer or not it doesn't really matter but it, it, it brings you to a new place with that person and I think a lot of issues in our society kind of stem from parent-child uh, tension mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that could be helped by you know being willing to go into an experience like that with an open mind Hold on, I lost you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hold on, I might need to grab my computer charger. I'm just going to run and grab that real quick. Sweet. So you were talking about this experience, like taking mushrooms with your dad, and right. I'm listening to you as someone who for sure has gone through it with my parents. Like in high school, we largely due to my um, rebellious nature that I mentioned earlier, I just wanted to have freedom and my parents wanted that not to happen. And, uh, we fought like so much over such things that looking back now, it's like, man, that was so small. We've built the relationship back a ton now 
eight to 10 years later, but there's still remnants of that trauma in a way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like when my mom smells weed, for example, and if she's listening to this, she's going to be like cringing right now, but it just like triggers this deep feeling of angst from just years of fighting over me smoking weed, me sneaking out and doing various things. Um, And I've long thought about the potential of a psychedelic experience, whether it's LSD or mushrooms, probably mushrooms with them or having even having them do it separate, maybe even in some sort of um, with, with some sort of person sitting there with them or guiding them through it and the benefits that might come along with that. And so, um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think there's such incredible potential in these substances. Absolutely. Um, so what else, if you don't mind me asking, like what, I mean, you guys talked on a very deep level and like, what else, how did the relationship change going forward? Did, I mean, that is, so I was having a conversation with actually a similar thing with like my sister and her now ex-boyfriend, whoops. Um, and my girlfriend, we were talking about this same exact thing. Like, would you do a psychedelic experience with your kids if you were to have kids one day and like, how would you handle that? And like, at what age and like under which circumstances? And I think it's important. The thing that I kind of came to, and maybe you can echo this and then answer the question that I cut you off before I let you answer, um, is like, it can't happen too early in life. I think if you break down the barrier of father, son, like there's something, whether it's primal or whatever it is, like respecting the parents in a degree, which I certainly did not do. But when you're a young kid, like there needs to be some like hierarchy or whatever. But when you get, when you get to the point where you're standing on your own two feet and you're supporting yourself and you're, you've had your own experiences in life to the point where your parents can trust you. I think it's incredibly valuable, but what would you say? Cause I'm just interested, honestly, personally, because this is something that I would love to pitch to my own family and maybe someone else listening might. Yeah. I mean, I think that age is kind of not always the most reliable indicator. I think it's kind of a more of a maturity thing. Mm. Um, and you know, that can happen for some people really early and then some people way, way late. And actually, um, from my experience talking with people and thinking about it, oftentimes the barrier, the, the, the final barrier often lies more in the parent than it does in the child, you know? And it's a matter of like, is the parent ready to let go of that, um, need for being on a different level? Cause I think it's such an equalizer, these mm-hmm. substances. You know, you really realize that so much is so arbitrary and no one is above or below anybody else and it's all the same thing. Um, that was like one of the repeated thoughts that kind of came to me in the in the psychedelic trip I took uh, during the filming was just like, it's all the same thing, you know? And, and everything really is all the same thing. And, you know, I think if you can get to a place where... You know, and I don't know. It's it's tough to put an age on it. You know, I did it when I was 23, um, but I think it's a matter of getting to a place where both people are ready to move into a new space together. Um, you know, both the parents, and, and then and that doesn't mean that it's without hesitation or without any kind of level. I, mean, I think there's. Oh, I was nervous. I was fucking scared. 
that I was like never going to be able to interact with my dad normally again. Like what's going to happen? You know, like you just don't know. Um, but I think it really hinges on both people being ready to kind of move into a place where they can really be with each other as, as people, you know, and knowing and, and accepting that neither of them have more or less of the answers than the other. Um, cause I think that's a big part of the parenting thing is like, parents oftentimes feel like they have to like kind of give this illusion that they have the answers and that the kids can come to them. And it's really kind of an acknowledgement of like, I only know what I figured out. Um, and once you kind of get into your twenties, that's kind of about the point where you start to realize like, Oh, like everyone just kind of knows what they've learned and from their experiences. And like, we're all just kind of out here winging it, you know? So I think the twenties are kind of a good time for that because you're starting to realize like, Oh, no one has it figured out. And, and that's kind of where you can make that transition, that beautiful transition with your parents of like, you don't have it figured out. I don't have it figured out, but I'm glad we're in this together in some sense, you know? And, and I think that really is the transition. And for me, you know, I know it can be hard for people. And so, you know, that's kind of been one of the more recent shifts in my life as well is like, you know, both my parents are therapists kind of like we talked about earlier, like I don't care if I make most of my money from filmmaking, you know, I know that it isn't going to necessarily be the highest profit thing. And so kind of during COVID, I had this transition of like, what if I find a way to like make, like, like to be a mental health uh, professional in some sort of way. And, you know, my goal with that right now is I would love to be, I mean, ultimate, my ultimate goal you know, which is probably a few years down the line once there's some changes and things kind of keep progressing the way that they are. But I mean, my goal would be a psychedelic wilderness therapy guide, you know, to basically become someone who can professionally take people out, whether that's couples, whether that's individuals, whether that's a father and a son, whether that's a father and a mother, whether that's like two parents and their child, you know, because I think a lot of like when you hear wilderness therapy, I mean, some people don't even know what it is, but what it is now is pretty much just for like young troubled youth mm -hmm. in like large groups to kind of go on these expeditions and, you know, build character and learn autonomy and skills. And that's super valuable. But I think that there's a, a, a gap for people that want something kind of like what you're talking about where, you know, it's like, what if I just, me and my dad wanted to like go on a trip together and have maybe like a therapeutic mediator, um, to help smooth things out while in the context of the wilderness. And that to me sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah. and, so, <laughs> and so I'm like, I want to do that. And, and so that's kind of been my latest addition to kind of my path is like, can I supplement my filmmaking with like a more direct individualized hands-on, like, um, you know, helping to facilitate things like what we're talking about. Cause I think sometimes having an extra person who knows what they're talking about, who's trained, who's licensed, you know, to be there through it could be helpful for people. You know, I kind of had that in my dad because he is a therapist and he's my dad. So I kind of, he mediated the experience himself, but in a way it was like going on a trip with a therapist. You know, if I ever had anything going on, like he would be there for me. Um, and I want to provide that service. I think that's a fantastic idea and a job description that I've never heard exists. No, I and don't think it like does. Like you said, I think it is, things are going that direction. This past election, there was, a, or this past voting season, I don't know how what the word is, but 
a bunch of states started to legalize psychedelics. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. um, a big movement in that direction for the positive, for sure. Man. So, and the thing that people need to realize is that it's not a, they're not a cure. Mm -hmm. You know, they're a tool. And, you know, if you use a tool properly, it can help you do things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. You know, like with any tool, it's there because you couldn't just do that with your hands. You know, like you need, sometimes you need a hammer, sometimes you need a wrench, and you wouldn't be able to do that without that tool. But it's not like the tool does it, you do it with the tool. And so I think people need to realize that psychedelics are just a tool for healing, but they're not going to heal you. That's a great analogy. I think that's that's wise, and they can be used. Tools can harm you, you know. Tools Absolutely. can help you. Yeah, yeah. You can fuck yourself up with a chainsaw, but also you can cut down a bunch of trees that you would take like hours and hours to do otherwise. So it's like sometimes tools are for efficiency, but you have to use them carefully and responsibly. Yes, that's something I really came to understand understand this past year. I had an. Uh, experience with DMT last December. Okay. I, it was kind of a long story, but I was coming back from Nepal and Thailand and I sit down next to this woman on the plane and she's like, Hey, I, you know, administer DMT in Denver. Do you want to come down and check it out? And I was like, for years, it was something that was on my radar, but I'd never, it, it's not something I'm going to go seek out necessarily, but I, at that time was just like, Oh, whoa, like there's something falling in my lap literally next to me in the seat next to me and so I did it and I really like under like she basically explained to me and another one of my mentors who was my first podcast guest after um, Joel and I think number 19 as well but they conveyed their understanding of how when you do go into some of these different dimensions if you will or different psychedelic states you put your soul or you you put yourself in a vulnerable position for potentially negative entities and things to take you away or to come back to your normal life with you. And we've sure. heard so many times about like people like losing it, you know, not ever being the same, like frying their brains or whatever words you want to put to it. Like there's maybe not science to explain exactly how it happens, but there's right. definitely some caution to be had. And, I'm sure. not, and the other beauty, beautiful thing about psychedelics is when you finish, you're not trying to go do it the next day. You're like, yeah. forget about that. I don't want to do that ever again. It was a beautiful experience and, um, right. you know, maybe in like a year or two. So right. that's, there's uh, just like something to be said there that I think a lot of people overlook. And in conversations like this, it's easy for us to just be like, oh, such a great um, tool and so powerful and positive. But then there's also, there's the other side of the coin as well. So yeah, and a lot of that was like really inflated, you know, I mean, because they were made illegal because people actively wanted to suppress the power that they had. Yes. You know, that's not a conspiracy. Like literally there's information out there that, you know, they saw the revolution that was basically happening when LSD became available, mm -hmm. you know, because it was really mostly L because LSD was just you could make tons of it. People had, had so much access to it in the 60s and 70s. And it was like, all these kids like don't want to get a job. We have to find a way to scare everyone into you know, making these things illegal. And they did that successfully. And so in a way, you know, this legalization process that's happening 
is just undoing the sort of arbitrary uh, limits that were put on it. Um, but I think that that, in a lot of just people's minds that maybe have never really looked into it, it's easy to be like, oh, these things are illegal. Oh, I remember hearing that these things, you know, cause psychotic breakdowns mm -hmm. or things like that. When those were the propaganda marketing tools that were used. Because, of course, yes, there are examples of that. A lot of times it was because that person had a psychological predisposition for not being stable because it, it fucks with reality. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you already don't have a stable base of reality, that's going to be really tough when you have this shift again in reality. You're like, wow, reality really doesn't exist. That could really snap something for you. But, you know, if you're a healthy person, there is really very little risk. I mean, I... Every single story that I've ever heard from friends who have had a bad trip, when they explain it, it makes so much sense. Like they they've did got it to shit themselves. going on. Yeah, exactly. They did it to themselves. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I was going to do it with a friend, but he kind of bailed on me. So I took both doses and, then, <laughs> you know, I was just hanging out in my parents' basement and I just like was listening to the Beatles and just started crying. And I was like, sounds like that would give you a bad trip. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't sound fun to me. Like, yeah, it's really a matter of like, is it something that you would have an amazing time doing without any substances at all? I think that's the key. It's not like so many people think that you're like, oh, I want a trip. It's like, no, do something like use use psychedelics to enhance an experience that would already be meaningful on its own. I think that to me is the most responsible way to use it you know, is take an experience that you would, you would be totally fine and happy to do sober, but you just want to make it one of the best days ever, you know, and, and give it like that multiplier. Cause that's really what it is. It's just, a, it like enhances things. It multiplies things to a huge extent. So if you're feeling really happy, you're going to feel really, really happy. But if you're feeling really scared and uncomfortable, you're going to feel really scared and uncomfortable. And it's just, yeah. you can't hide from yourself. That's, that's the key. It's not like it wants to do anything to harm you. You just can't hide from yourself. And the mushrooms don't care if you have things that you don't want to think about. They're just, <laughs> they're just going to be like, here's all of you. Right here's to the surface. You. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so true. as long as you're willing to be like, okay, that's me. You know, even if there are things that you might not like, it's like, that's me. That's where I am right now you're going to be okay. And that's what I would say to anybody is, you know, I'm, I do definitely advocate for these substances. I understand that some people might not be ready for them. I don't ever want to, I would never want to push it on someone. I think they, they have a habit of finding their way into people's lives when they're ready. Mm -hmm. But just, I think the one thing I would say for anyone who's thinking of trying it and finds a way to get their hands on it, like the one thing I would say to consider is just know that it's okay and that it's gonna be okay, and that in a way the universe loves you, and that's what's happening. You know, in whatever is happening, it's, it's from a place of love, and you know, even if it feels like a lot, it'll be okay. True, very true words, very true words. Wow. Yeah. Man, you've got a lot of really cool stuff going on, and I haven't even asked you about your last 10 days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could talk briefly about that. 
Um, so kind of along this line of wanting to be this wilderness therapy guide, um, you know, I've kind of been looking into what, what are some of the ways that I can really feel like a qualified source for people, you know, so if I'm taking people out that might not know me as well, they know that they're in really capable hands. And so I basically took this 10 day, uh, it's through an organization called Knowles, which is the, yes. out, the national outdoor leadership school. Um, they're like one of the best in terms of outdoor education. Um, and so I took a 10 day wilderness first responder certification, um, which is basically the one level below, uh, an EMT. So you can do basically everything except for be in an ambulance, but everything that needs to be done to a patient previous to getting them in an ambulance and off to definitive care, we basically learned how to deal with just about any thing that could happen, you know? So, and we alternated between lectures and scenarios so we would learn about topics and then we would go out and practice if we showed up to the scene of a certain injury, you know, and these varied from someone who had just took a really big bail on a mountain bike and, you know, broke their clavicle, something like that, to, you know, one of the scenarios, we did a mass casualty scenario where the scenario was a Jeep with seven people uh, rolled off the side of a mountain and, you know, there were seven people with various degrees of life-threatening injuries. And we as a team of like 10 rescuers for that scenario had to kind of delegate and figure out how to handle, you know, showing up to the scene of that until and then figuring out basically what to do and what to call for, you know, like if you need to call for a helicopter, if you need to call for an ambulance, you know, what services do you need and how to professionally call that in. So, I mean, it was really in-depth training. Wow. Um, but, you know, basically teaching you how to be a first responder on scene, but particularly in a wilderness environment where a lot of times the contact time and the time that you're with that patient until help arrives is a lot longer. You know, like if you break your ankle on like, you know, the street, it doesn't matter. Like you'll get an ambulance right away. If you're 15 miles into the wilderness and you, you know, fall off a rock and get a compound fracture, have a bone sticking out of your leg it could be one to two days before anyone can actually get out there to help you. So, you know, it's about like what to do in those situations to take care of someone until more help can come. Um, and it was, it was beautiful, honestly, like it was a really profound experience. I think that more people should learn these skills. I think the more people that have these skills out there in the world, the safer we all are. Um, but it was great. I mean, the thing that the, the teachers kept bringing up is like, after we would do these scenarios, you know, especially at towards the end when we were doing these more in-depth scenarios, we did one where we had to, you know, drive to an actual wilderness location at night and do a, a night rescue or a night scenario where someone had, you know, a fracture with a bone sticking out of their leg. And like, how would you fix that up and then also get things set up to last the night with that person? You know, if the conditions were to get worse and say, maybe start raining or snowing, you know, how do you get that situation under control when you know, you know, you're not getting help today. Um, and so much of it is just about like having the confidence and competence to know that, you know, you're doing the best you can in that situation. And because a lot of those situations can get overly gnarly and like kind of tip that scale of like, this is not going to be good. But at the very least, being confident to not freak out, you know, like if 10 days ago, 
I was like hiking with friends and one of them broke their leg that bad, I would be freaking out and be like, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> what do we do? Like, we're going to die out here. And now I feel like I have the confidence to, to handle a situation like that, even if it isn't a great situation, you know, how to, how to handle a situation. Or like if, if you saw a car flip over in front of you on the highway, you know, I would know that I could pull over and help that person as best I could. Um, and I think that's really empowering. And, you know, even, even separate from wanting to do this for my wilderness therapy pursuits, you know, I'm, I'm now qualified to be on like search and rescue teams and things like that. And, you know, I think it's just, it was an awesome experience. People first comment is people often in our normal daily lives, things are so safe and tame. It's one of the reasons why people like to go up to the mountains and get in the outdoors is because it provides this element of challenging yourself. And in that I've seen so many times I've been up in the mountains and I've heard, Oh, someone got lost here. Like I was in Mount Rainier national park and came across three hikers. They were sitting like kind of looking at each other all scared. And we were like, what's going on guys? Like what's, what happened? And they're like, yeah, last night, right before sunset, our friend ran off and went off the trail and we just lost her. And she's been gone for the whole night. Rangers found her in the morning, luckily, but she spent an entire night in Mount Rainier National Park in yeah. some some river goalie with like yeah. maybe 28 to 35 degree weather. And she, no, no tent, no sleeping bag, like nothing like that. And so my comment That's would right. be people often overlook the dangers that come along out there. So I, I can imagine that an experience like yeah. this gives you the confidence and also just this respect and appreciation. Like we so often see shit go down in the mountains. Just a couple, um, back in June, actually brought up a terrible memory because I was hiking backpacking with my girlfriend and we were on our way back down like a maybe five mile hike. It was pretty tame, but I had most of the weight in my backpack, maybe a 45 pound pack, 40 pound pack or something. And I turned my ankle and I just heard it snap. And there was a moment there. We were like probably three miles from the trailhead. And there was like a five minutes where I was on the ground, like, you know, screaming in pain because I'm a, you know, a sure. little bitch sometimes. But I honestly wasn't sure if I was going to be able to walk out of there. And fortunately, yeah. I was able to like barely limp my way down the trail. Um, but shit can go real serious real fast. And I always. And that's the thing. They, I, I mean, I feel like every backpacking trip, I, I don't think I've ever come back from a backpacking trip without shedding blood somehow. <laughs> you know, whether it's like a little cut or a scrape uh-huh. or like just like something you know, you always get hurt. Yeah. I mean, and there's always those moments like you're talking about where you have a moment where you like a rock isn't as stable as you thought. And you have this moment where if that had gone even just slightly differently, yeah. dead, that's it. I, <laughs> you know, like just these yeah. like little moments of like, wow, that was, that almost could have been a lot worse. Yeah. I'm and, not going to tell too many stories, but one I just have to bring <laughs> up is me and two friends were tripping on the beach on some LSD four or five miles from the trailhead out in Washington. And my one buddy ventured up onto a slippery, sharp barnacle covered rock kind of feature when it was low tide, he slips and gets a gash on his leg, like real big gash, like deep. And I remember we were all just like in the height of the trip. We looked at his leg and we just were like, wait, that's your leg, dude. Like what? Like it was like the skin was like, we could see the blood coming to the area and just like the way we could literally see what was happening in his leg almost. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was another one that was almost really serious. I just had to bring up because it was kind of interesting. No, but for sure. <laughs> you know, and then especially like in those situations, you know, so much of it is just about like being able to know that you could calmly handle the situation. Yeah. Like even if it's not serious, just knowing that you can like. We did, we did handle it pretty calmly. My, I took my, I had an extra shirt and my buddy had long hair like you. So he took his hairband off and we wrapped a little makeshift tourniquet around it, sat down while we tried to hike up a first little hill and the leg like swelled up like a baseball, like instantly. So we realized, okay, we, we like almost were at the situation where we like had to call for help or something, smoked a joint and calmed down a little bit. And then he was able to walk out of there, but Yeah. Crazy. And, um, I just like, man, so much stuff that you were talking about in this conversation, I just, um, have had similar experiences and I think I can see a lot of like where you find value. And I also really respect and appreciate how you formulate like a vision for the future for yourself and then take actions in the day to day to go after that. Um, is that something that's innate to you? Is that something that you've had to develop? Like, the willingness to take the long path that might, you know, to get to the top of the mountain, you have to take the first steps out of the parking lot kind of thing. Yeah. I think it, I think it is a more recent development. Um, but I think it really comes down to the understanding that time is our most valuable asset that we have. Um, like our time is incredibly precious. You know, we do have a fair amount of it if you add it up in terms of the years that we might live, but also that could be over at any time. And so I think kind of similar to what I've been talking about through a couple of times in this conversation, just coming to the place where I didn't want to spend my time doing things that weren't moving me forward, you know, like just being really careful with how I invest my time. And sometimes that means sacrificing money, you know you know, taking certain, making certain decisions where, you know, you might have more time available to you and be getting less money, but then with that time you can do more things and that might actually end up being more valuable, but, you know, really being considerate of where you're putting that time. Um, and because if you maximize it, you know, you can excel really quick. It's, it's like, you kind of have to let go of the goal so that way you can excel the fastest. I think you even, I remember you talking about this in one of your other uh, episodes. I forget who you were talking to, but just that idea that, you know, sometimes like slowing down actually gets you there faster if you actually are really like th- methodical and thoughtful about what you do with your time. Um, and just trusting that you're working towards what you want to be doing rather than like taking some kind of step by step guidebook like oh I need to do this and then I need to do this you know because life doesn't really life is very inconsistent you know just because something works for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you and so trying to be too rigid of how it's going to work and just kind of this idea of like trusting that you're going to get there like just be there be wherever you can be as far along as you can be in the moment but just be in that moment and either be advancing yourself or enjoying yourself, but don't be thinking about, you know, oh, I have to do this and this and this so that two years from now I can do that. Like even with the wilderness therapy stuff, like there's a lot that would need to happen for me to get there, but I'm not thinking about that. Like, again, I'm taking this course and now I feel super great and really capable and confident. It's not even about the wilderness therapy. It's just about that skill. And, you know, 
if I keep going down that track, I'll get closer and closer. And then one day I'll be able to say, that's what I'm doing. But, you know, having the goals, but then being in the present, I think is really important. Yeah. And then not overly judging your own like status or your own progress, I guess. Like this is maybe what you were talking about, but this is something that I've come to realize like the importance of just not always being like, have I made it yet? Have I made it yet? Like it's, you know, if you're on a road trip and you ask like how much longer, you know, if you look at the Google maps, it's going to take so much longer if you like look and actually like try and be like, um, and then another thing I, that just came in my head, Matthew McConaughey mentioned is like, sometimes we rush to the red light. So like Mm. the red lights there, you're not going to go through the red light. So you can either like rush to the red light and then get there and be like, now what? Or you can enjoy the drive a bit more. And so I've been trying to apply those understandings to my life a little bit. There's so much good stuff in this conversation, man. Um, It's been a pleasure, seriously. Before you go, I want to, because I I work with a mental health nonprofit myself and what you were talking about. um, I've had two friends, two close friends die by suicide and a number of other people in my community that have had that. I mean, it's such a prevalent thing. And um I want to ask you if you're willing to talk about your own mental health journey, just Mm -hmm. like a couple minutes on what it's been like, the ups and downs that you've gone through. And you mentioned that you're in a pretty good place now, which is fantastic, but um, no one gets through unscathed. So the floor is yours for a couple minutes on mental health and just what your journey has been in that space. Yeah. Well, I think an important acknowledgement is that, you know, at the end of the day, I think I've been extremely privileged um, as, as far as mental health goes, I think I've been insanely lucky to have had the circumstances that I've had, but I think even given that it's important to talk about that. You're right. It hasn't been perfect. And I think that's true for a lot of people. I think, I think people in privilege are just in, in fact, uh, just a statistic that, you know, people who are in affluent communities actually, like have a higher suicide rate. Um, because I, and, and, you know, I, I can't even begin to assume why that would be, but it's just something to pay attention to. Um, but I think for me, a lot of what my journey growing up was kind of revolved around my brother. Um, and you know, him being so difficult, I think I kind of fell into this hole of not wanting to burden my parents with anything additionally, and so I really kind of kept a lot of the stuff I was dealing with to myself. And so whether that was, you know, dealing with young breakups or things like that, you know, I kept a, I didn't really talk to many people about what I was going through. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, having therapist parents, it's almost kind of like a cop out. Like I was like, everyone should go to therapy, but I don't need to go to therapy. Um, and, you know, I think I, I tried to go in like mid high school um, because I was in this long-term relationship that I think I didn't know at the time. I mean, it was a really good relationship, but I think it was so much just for like comfort and safety and just like having like a place where I wouldn't be abandoned. Cause I think something I've realized only recently in life is that even though I have great parents, um, my adoption did affect me, uh, even though it happened when I was born. Um, and you know, I think there's like this abandonment event that in some really subconscious level I registered where, you know, there was this entity that I was getting to know for nine months 
that was like my nurturing entity. And then all of a sudden I never see that or connect with that energy and that entity again. Um, and I think that kind of gave me this early lesson about people leaving. And I think I was always kind of so, uh, worried about that, that I didn't really get close to a lot of people. Like I was always the type of person that would have like one friend that I just hung out with all the time. Like that would make it so that they wouldn't leave me because if I put all my energy into one person, then maybe that would, you know, be more surefire. But again, you know, then I lose those people and I lose those relationships. And so I think, um, kind of trying to be alone, um, wasn't very successful, uh, for me. And then it wasn't until college where I started taking acting classes, which are also essentially like therapy classes or, you know, you have professors kind of drawing out these really deep emotions, you know, sometimes in healthy ways and sometimes in unhealthy ways. But, you know, the goal is to access emotions. And so, of course, you're going to kind of dig into some stuff. And I think I really realized that I didn't let people in. Um, and, you know, then maybe like junior year of college is when I was like, maybe I should go see a therapist. Um and so I've been seeing one ever since, and it was just astonishing to me how much, how much I missed about myself. I just, just trying to figure it out on my own, you know, like you, you just have this one perspective, which is like very limited. And then even just the act of explaining yourself to someone else because so much of therapy is just about talking about yourself. It's not about going there to get answers or going there to get advice. It's just giving you a medium to talk about talk it talk it out loud and have someone else hear it and then them kind of make an interpretation of what it seems like to them. Um, and that was insanely helpful. Um, I think I've grown a lot in the last few years being in therapy, which is so funny because, you know, I – didn't do it for so long, which is so ironic given that I was around it. But I think, you know, my parents were really good therapists because they weren't like constantly analyzing me or digging into my life. They were just, like I said, that medium for if I wanted to talk. But I think at the time I wasn't mature enough to want to talk. And I think it took me being ready to want to talk before I could start benefiting from that. So I think that's, that's what I say about therapy is like you, you have to be ready and willing to, to go there inside of yourself, but it's just as much a you journey as it is like the therapist. The therapist is just helping you go through some of your shit that you haven't really sorted out and kind of being a partner in that. I'm making a video right now for the nonprofit organization that I'm working with. And so it's on the top of my mind. And one thing that our vice president said, which about therapy, which I think is really valuable is like, I asked like what the difference is between talking to your friends and talking to a therapist. And the difference is when you're talking to your friends, you're just venting. Usually you're just like, ah, oh, this is the issue or whatever. But when you're talking to a therapist, you're problem solving a bit more. So you're sure. going in there with the intention. Would you agree? With and that? I think I, I would. And I also think that there's something to be said about the fact that you're paying them. Um, I think that there is a very important shift that happens when, you know, it is your time. That hour, you know, typically 
that you have with that person, you paid for that. That's mm-hmm. your time. And you know, when you're talking to your friends, you might be telling a story about what's going on and they might be like, oh, that reminds me of this thing that's going on with me. And then you're kind of talking with that. And it's, you know, that's valuable too. And it's a back and forth, but you know, they're not obligated to be there for you and only you in that moment. Whereas I think something that's just really kind of takes a load off in therapy is like, you know, you don't, you don't have to check in with your therapist. If you don't, you don't have to be like, I'm sorry, I've been talking a long time. How are you doing? You know, you, you don't, <laughs> you don't need to do that. You, you just, you have that time to do with whatever you want. I mean, my dad has talked about how he's had sessions with people where neither of them say anything the whole time, wow. you know, and they just don't want to talk that day. And he's like, all right, that's fine. We're not going to talk, you know, and it's really a matter of, you know, when you have that time, I think that that, that makes a difference. And I wish it were more affordable. And I think that that is definitely something that we need to be moving towards is making it more affordable and accessible. Agreed. But the fact, but the fact that it's a service that is being provided to you, um, that's what makes it different from talking to your friends. I think talking to your friends is really valuable, but having a space where it's like, this is mine, I can own this. Like it gives you that autonomy and that kind of empowerment that you, you can go deeper than you would in just a regular dialogue. So what are you working on now when you go to your therapist? Like what are the types of things that you bring in, ter- in terms of intentions? Well, I think a lot of the stuff that I've been working on recently is I just recently moved in with my girlfriend. And, you know, I think that in a lot of ways that's been really great, but I think coexisting and cohabitating with anybody is a very unique and specific challenge. And and just relationships are difficult. You know, even the best ones, even the people that you love, like every relationship is going to have challenges. And I think people are misguided if they think they're going to find somebody that they're not going to butt heads with Mm -hmm. at some point in time. Um, So I think a lot of my work on myself these days is learning how to balance the needs, like, like be there for someone else and also be true to myself and not compromise, but also, you know, find ways to be together in a more intense way. And especially like living together when you're with that person every day, it just, a lot of new challenges come up. And so I think where that, that's where I'm at is like having to figure out how to be a better boyfriend and just a better, you know, partner, uh, and a better roommate, um, in ways that, you know, just make the whole thing smoother. So that's, that's where I'm at right now in my psychological development. It's like, I feel like I've done a lot of really good groundwork on myself. I feel like I know myself really well, but then that doesn't always translate to being able to kind of be with everyone, be with others. Um, and so, yeah. I can relate to that too, man. I'm living with my girlfriend and trying to do the same thing, but I don't have a therapist to help me with it. So it's, uh, you inspired me to think in a lot of new ways during this conversation. And I'm, I'm stoked about it, man. Thank you so much for your time. It's it's been such an honor. I would love to keep talking to you, dude. I'm sure our paths are going to cross again. I was also going to say earlier in the conversation, if there's ever an opportunity to collaborate in a film space, Let's it would it. be my honor to, uh, it would be just be such so a cool. pleasure to join on one of your projects or if I'm ever in California, just meet up and hang out. So would love that. Um, yeah. We'll definitely stay in touch. Definitely. And appreciate your time and, um, have a great rest of the day, man. Awesome.